Well, I'm glad to be back with you all. Um, I, I felt like I was gone forever when I was sick. Um, you know, I, I, COVID is, is, like Angela said last week, because I got to hear her again, her message on Tuesday, because of my being with my Tuesday night group. She says, COVID's a real thing, and I can tell you it is. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm glad that uh, I was able to get through it, and um, I slept a lot. Maybe I needed all that sleep. I probably did. But I'm glad to be back here with you feeling well and good and energized and ready to go. So um, uh, thank you for your prayers, for everybody who prayed for, for me and for Doug. It was uh, very much felt, and we are very thankful for them. So today we find ourselves in Romans 13. We're back in Romans 13, um, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 through the end of the chapter. We're going to complete chapter 13. Um, I have to say, I have to shout out to the ladies who taught this session already, to Sam and Jackie and Angela. Um, wow, they have done, they did a fabulous job. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to say, you know, we're not professional teachers or scholars. You know, we're moms and wives and workers. And I'm a grandma, they're not grandmas yet. <laughs> and, but you know what, what I know about the, the women on our teaching team, that uh, the women who teach are submitted and surrendered to the work of Jesus Christ. And they listen intently to the voice of the Holy Spirit as they wrestle out the scriptures they're teaching. I mean, we wrestle the, the scriptures we're teaching because sometimes um, I don't like to teach some of them because you know I feel like it's, gonna offend somebody, but the word should offend us, right? It should, to change us. You know, if we left, we're left in our own thinking, we're not gonna be changed. So, we have benefited greatly from our teachers wrestling, you know, by what God has given to them for us. So, in, in chapters one through eight, we worked through what the gospel is. And the gospel, I just have to say, it's fact. The gospel is fact. Jesus stepped out of heaven and came down and died on a cross for your sin and my sin, for all people, for all Jews and all Gentiles, for everyone. That's fact. Then in the fall, this last fall, we began uh, working through how to live the gospel as we started in chapters 9 through 11, which when I was doing my notes and I wrote that down, I realized it was 9-11. <laughs> you know, help! Are we chosen or do we have a choice? That's where we started in the fall, right? Which we found that the answer was yes. <laughs> we are chosen and we choose. So God chose us all and we have the choice to choose him back. So I just want to say about that portion that I am comforted that we serve an all-knowing God, that he isn't waiting to find out what we will choose, that he already knows he's God. If he didn't know, he would be just a simple, simple superhero, limited to one or two powers. Our God, he is able, he is able to know the intentions of our heart. He is able to search our heart, and he knows us. He formed us in our mother's womb. He is all-powerful. He is a supreme authority wrapped in perfect love. 
I, I am comforted by that. We experienced his omniscience week after week in each passage. And in the new year, the new year when we started this study packet, we continue to experience the sovereign omniscience of God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He, he, he knows right where we are. He knows right what we need. How do we know that he is, all sovereign, he is sovereign and omniscient? Well, I feel like we've seen it clearly as we've studied the book of Romans, you know? Each and every week, it's like, this is right where we are. This is right where we are. And, you know, it wasn't a mistake. He knew, he knew right where we would be and what we would need to live through what we live, what we live through every day. And it's beyond, it's beyond you know, the pandemic and COVID because we have things in our lives that we need help to live through every day, right? So, um, but yet as we stepped in to uh, the scripture in chapter 12, it's almost like, I feel like I've almost stepped even deeper into scripture to live it out in my life. So, this step that we've taken deeper into the word hasn't lacked in its challenges for us to work out, right? <laughs> How we personally and together are going to live this beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we gonna live this? And that's what we're learning, how to live it. And it has become even clearer in chapter 12 and 13. So chapter 12 opened with a therefore, stating that all that you have just heard and learned isn't to be parked, nor is it to sit in idle. What we have learned is to continue to drive forward, to connect with what you will learn next. So it all, it all continues. That is, that is uh, that is how to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope for the hope of the world out loud to the world, to those around us. Sam exhorted us to be humble, that our salvation is by the grace of God alone, that our entitlement attitude must stop and the attitude we must have is the attitude to live our lives in action of the holy, of the living and holy sacrifice. So we're supposed to have our lives lived as a sacrifice, as a living and holy sacrifice. And that is a supernatural life. That is a supernatural occurrence that happens in your life as you surrender to Jesus. And this is acceptable to God, she tells us. That being a living sacrifice is a living, holy life, living a holy life as God desires, as he, as he sees fit for us to do. God calls us to holiness as he, is, as he sees holiness, not as we see holiness, but as he sees holiness. And that comes through our not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by being renewed in our mind in Jesus Christ. We're not to be conformed, we're to be transformed. We are to be continually renewed in our minds. And then Sam had defined the, those words, conform, transform, and renewed, and she, she put it into a sentence, into this statement, which I'm gonna read to you. So she stated, do not be, do not be obedient or compliant to the tendencies or characteristics of the world system that seeks to gratify only self. 
Instead, we must change in our character, our condition, by set, settling our minds, our perceptions, our feelings on godly things. So we need to settle things on godly things, everything about us, our character, our condition, how we live. So this is a command, do not, do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind is so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And Jackie took it from there. Jackie said, our circle is now expanding. It starts personal, our personal transformation and grows to those around us and out to the world. How do we know this is, is, um, is that we are to live love as a verb without hypocrisy. Jackie went on to teach us, we are to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Hate what is evil, not who is evil. I think that's something we really need to take into account every day. You know, hate what is evil, not who is evil. Pray for those that you, that you see who are evil. Um, sh she also shared that there, uh, through the list of 20 plus ways to live out our gifts, which I think we should read and reread probably once a week. It would help us. This list is certainly not exhaustive, but sure does help us get started to where we need to go. I love the hope Jackie gave us when she said, God is not done with you. How do we know? We're still here. <laughs> I love that, that's hope, because he's not done with us. We must be transformed to renew what love truly looks like before we are, inf we are inflicted on society, she said. <laughs> and then I say, especially as we head into chapter 13, right? Transformed, renewed, love. In chapter 13, Paul turns his attention to how believers must live and conduct themselves in society. I'm gonna take a breath here. And water. And I have to take a breath because I just have to say, Angela, wow. Just wow. <laughs> Angela took us to the shed in the most grace-filled message that pertains to today. It not only was in the Roman times that Paul wrote to, but we see it happening today. And she gave us a grace-filled message. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the room last week was so powerful. And by the conclusion of her message, unity was proclaimed and encouraged even in our differences through a very challenging message and passage that we were in. So Angela clearly taught us that subjection is throughout the Bible. Children to parents, wives to husbands, church leaders to leaders. That there is order in the home, work, church, and government. Our God is a God of order. And you know what, I can tell you, I taught a wives class for a long time. And in the wives class, you know, we talk a lot about submission you know, submitting to our husbands. And you know, that's like an unpopular word or thought or that we should do that. But the purpose is that, the, that God is a God of order. It's his order. The, the 
husband is under Christ and, and we are under the husband and so on and so on and so on. God is a God of order. He's a God of order. He's not gonna, he doesn't do things out of order. So the Bible gives us a lot of examples of submission and subjection and clearly tells, each, uh, tells us each are God's established order. It's his established order. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Joshua, and many others lived and worked under the subjection of the authorities for many years before they actually had to stand against them because then their authority superseded what God's, they were trying to supersede God. And when you try to supersede God, you're trying to say, I am God, and that's not true. So I wanna pause here and say, so, we're, so you're not confused about the things I'm saying in case, you, you know, in case you've gone off on a trail. <laughs> I believe in being a law-abiding citizen. I do. I am thankful for the traffic laws, for the courts, the judges, the police, our military. I am thankful. Even the government officials that I struggle to appreciate, I do not wish evil on them, not at all. I pray for their salvation, for their protection, and for them to have wisdom. And you know what? I don't like any of the government rulings that stand against what God stands for. And you know what? God doesn't like that they stand against him either. But God allows even evil people to rise up as leaders to bring men to repentance to bring men to repentance. That is what this life is about, to come to know Christ. And we have to be brought to repentance. Governing authorities are God's servants. We have to remember that. Yet our primary allegiance must be to God and our plumb line, which the plumb line means that you're gonna put that um, wallpaper you're putting up, so I think of it that way, straight, so that if all your fruit's, fruit's supposed to go this way, it's not going like this. So. Our plumb line must be the full word of God. This is how we know God in his heart for men. If we understand the full word of God, we can see God's full heart in the word. And then we know him. We know him to his fullness. And like Angela said, we don't just look at one passage and then run, run off with that in, and, and just be dogmatic and maybe legalistic. Um, we look at the full word so we can see God's full heart and his full message. So, while Angela's teaching, this is what came to my heart and I just wanted to share it with you. So when we pray for our leaders, governors, mayors, presidential candidates, and so on, things many times seem to get worse. I've experienced that. Um, voting goes opposite of what we hoped. Bills are passed that um, goes against God. Laws are voted in that we voted against. Everything st seems to have gone um, in a mostly ungodly direction. And at times we feel dejected, depressed, and heartsick. And I have to tell you, I felt heartsick when full-term abortion was passed in New York. And now in many states, my heart was sick. It was sick. But let me say it to you this way, so that, hold on to that. Now we pray for our loved ones, right? To come to Jesus. And at times, we have things, seen things get worse for them. 
and we have even prayed sometimes to bring them to the end of our, themselves. Do whatever it takes, Lord, to be done that they will come to repentance to you. Whatever it takes. Right? So let me ask you this. Could this be possibly what God does and is doing in our country, state, and community through these different government officials and leaders? Repentance. Repentance. I have experienced and witnessed many times that things got worse and actually needed to get worse before looking up. I have been guilty of trying everything I possibly can before I finally looked up and surrendered to Jesus. So I'm, I'm not unlike. The beautiful thing about our Constitution and our laws is that they are there to, to protect us. They give us a place of recourse for our, our complaints and our questions. Those aren't bad. We just have to go along with what the outcome is. You know, we just have to say, okay, Lord. Our traffic laws keep us in our own lane for our protection and for those who drive next to us. So, comes down to this as I sum up this so we can go into our next path, then the next verses for today. We will not always agree with what our government, with what our officials do or don't do. And it is definitely good to pray for them. The word tells us to, so it's biblical, it's God's heart. But it's good to remember that God knows and has allowed the, those in authority to be where they are. God knows. And if we are in the hand of the almighty God, we are protected and loved and secure. Because we know that God could take anybody out, any one of the officials, any one of us, any time like he did Herod. <laughs> any time he sees fit, but for the time being, it's our attitude. Our attitude is our responsibility. And we must be filled with love and truth and balanced with grace. Not 25%, 25% and 50%, but 100% love, 100% truth, and 100% grace. So let's head into our verses for today. Um, and we're gonna back up to verse six because um, our circle, you know, is expanding. And to see it fully, we need to talk about what we owe. So um, I just want to read the passage. <laughs> so starting in verse 6, um, it says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers and servants of God devote themselves um, to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For, for this you shall not commit your, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now, from, for now salvation is nearer, nearer to us than when we believed. 
The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, lay aside, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. So we got a lot to get through, so I'm gonna try to move as fast as I can. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, teaching the word makes me totally emotional. You know, and I, this portion, I love talking about the love of God and how we're supposed to love each other, and this, this, this is no, I was not short of emotions, to tell you. Um, uh, I, in these chapters we have, we have been in, I have wrestled enough to last a lifetime, I have to say. <laughs> and, um, which right now, you know, I'm getting older, so it's not that much longer anymore, but. <laughs> but seriously, I don't complain at all about wrestling. I'm, I'm glad for the wrestling and for the emotions. I have been strengthened in what I believe and the truth in these and, the, and that these passages teach. But I have also been con convicted <laughs> when my attitude has been completely out of line. And as we, walk a bit, as we talk a bit about taxes, there, uh, there may be some of you here who don't like that this portion is in the Bible. Um, but don't shut your ears don't, or your heart because there is more to it than scolding you to pay taxes. So I, it's not why I started there, but, um, but I'm gonna encourage you to pay your taxes. <laughs> so verse six, we're, just, we're gonna look at, so because of this you should also pay your taxers, tax, not taxers, but taxes. Um, for rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing, render all to all, what is due them? Tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So Jesus has even said this. Jesus said, pay your taxes in Matthew 22, 21, when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. David Guzik says, we are also to pay taxes due from us, because there is a sense in which we support God's work when we do so. So we're supporting God's work when we do so. By implication, he says, Romans 13.6 also says that taxes collected are to be used by government to get the job done of restraining evil and keeping an orderly society, not to enrich the government officials themselves. Well, now, <laughs> there are government officials that do use their position to enrich themselves. And honestly, there have been times that I have been it has frustrated me that I can't do really anything about it. That's how I feel, okay? But I have actually been given something I can do, and one thing I can do is vote. So I vote. And sadly, more times than I can remember, my vote has felt like it didn't do anything. There were times I felt so heartbroken that my countrymen chose to vote something so contrary and outright evil against the Lord. I have felt that way, like I, did, like I still do about the full-term abortion, about abortion anyway, you know? And I don't say that, you know what, I don't say that to condemn anybody who's had an abortion because God is a forgiving and loving God. He is. And I know many who have had abortions and God has forgiven them and they live under God's grace. So, but it's still not right before the Lord. 
but we are to remember that God is in control. God is in control. Like verse one tells us, there is no authority except from God. God knows he is in control and we have to put ourselves in the hands of the almighty God. God appoints a nation's leaders, but not always to bless the people. Sometimes it is to judge the people or to ripen the nation for judgment, says David Guzik. I can see that God has been ripening our nation for judgment for far longer than this last year. But you know what? God is the one preparing the world. We don't have to. God does. And when God does it, we can trust that he knows how to do it right. We don't have to worry. We just have to step out and do what he asks us to do. So, this is not a COVID pandemic thing. This is a God working thing. He never stops working, never for those he loves. And he loves the whole world. So this is clear. We are to pay our taxes. We are to pay what we owe to who we owe. So if you owe taxes, pay them. <laughs> if you owe customs when you bring above the allowed amount back to the country, don't cheat. That's being deceptive and dishonest. Pay your customs. <laughs> and equally, fear, which isn't afraid, it is respect. Give respect to, to who respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. Because we too are told in verse eight, owe nothing to anyone, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, and he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul repeats Jesus' words in Matthew 22:36 through 40, when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, love. But let us not repeat the heart of the Pharisees and leaders by asking, who's my neighbor? Don't ask that. Let me, I'll just make it clear, okay? <laughs> Everyone that is not you is your neighbor. <laughs> Makes it simple, right? <laughs> Owe nothing to anyone. That is very clear. Owe nothing to anyone. Now, I also want to say, because, you know, some people are really literal, and they don't want you to run away with this, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're not to borrow money. You know, and we have, I have a mortgage. Jesus even spoke about borrowing money in Matthew 5, 42. It sa he says, give to the one who asked and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, so he knows we're borrowing money. And now we're talking about paying it back. But this is, this is saying, all of that we read, this is saying be responsible, give respect and honor to pay back, in paying back what you owe to whom you owe. And so, you know, I have, I have to have another side note here. When you borrow, because I mean, I'm teaching you, so this is a good lesson, right? When you borrow, <laughs> don't borrow foolishly. 
by borrowing what you cannot pay back. You know, I mean, there are circumstances that happen in people's lives, you know, that they had a job, they were able to pay everything, and then something happened. You know, we have to leave that with the Lord. But don't go into it foolishly knowing you cannot pay it back. That does not please the Lord. Okay, I'm off of that stand. <laughs> so, we are to pay our bills, our car payment, house payment, rent, even the things we borrow beyond money, like books, clothes, food, tents, bikes, whatever you borrow, whether it is from a financial institution, friends or family, pay it back. Owe them nothing. Except, now Paul gives us an exception. Except to love one another. We always owe love to others, always. To love others is a perpetual obligation. But we, when we pay our taxes, we don't owe it again until the next year. It's paid. When we borrow money and we pay it back, we don't have to pay it again. Your account has been marked paid. When we give back money we borrowed, or the things we borrow, we are no longer responsible. It's, it's now with the owner. When we paid off Doug's car, we were free of that debt. Glory, hallelujah, it was so good. <laughs> we were not gonna get another payment bill in the mail. We were done, and we had the title to prove it. It was awesome, it felt so good. Monetary type of owing can come in, in can come to an end if we pay it. I look forward to, day, to the day when I get to pay off my car and, my, and that debt comes to an end. But you know what, love, love for one another is never to come to an end. It must be our constant. So here we are, we're expanding the circle a little bit further. We started personal, we expanded to those around us, then to our world, and now we are expanding to personal actions. How do we put what we've learned into action? We've given the facts. <laughs> we are to change, and even, that, and even what that change looks like. Those lessons, we, the lessons don't just sit on the sideline. You know, it's, it would be like a football player just sitting there all the time, never playing. We are to go into the game, okay? We run into the game, we're into action. We take the steps to apply them into our lives. Our actions speak louder than words, and our actions when we pay our debt speaks very loud to our debtors. I don't know, you know, if you've ever had a debt collector call you, um, but when they call, it's because you didn't make a payment to, your, to the lender. Actions prove our intent. And you know what? Every fact, every lesson, every action, and every step is hinged on love. It hinges on love. Do I like to pay my taxes? Not especially. Particularly when I don't approve what it's being used for. But they are biblical. So we pay them, and when we are paid, and when I paid my taxes, which we just did, it's a great relief. 
I have to leave the rest to God. I have to leave the uses or the misuses to God. You know, we can be the best stewards of our money and be lacking in our stewardship of love. Love is daily. Love doesn't come in an envelope with a statement inside showing the payment that we owe for that month with a balance that shrinks as you owe less and less each month. Could you imagine if, that, if God did that with us? Oh, it would be awful. But his love grows more and more and more daily. Love must be a debt that is revolving, unending. We should never have a final love bill that is marked paid. We owe one another love. And giving one another love fulfills the law of God. And the word fulfill means to bring to reality, to carry out as required. Love is required of us. God has required it. And, it, and we want it to be brought into reality. Not only are we to, do, to be good model citizens, so far as it depends on us, but we are also to live owing love to others. This, doesn't, this depends on us. It depends on us. We owe love. We are the only ones who can give love. Just as Jesus Christ loved us as he willingly laid down his life for us, he loved us first. So who are we to hold back our love to others? We are to love as he loves, sacrificially, and as we do, we won't commit adultery with our neighbor, we won't murder our neighbor, we won't steal from our neighbor, we won't covet what our neighbor has, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is how Jesus loves us. That is how Jesus loves us, and that's how we are to love. Verse 10 gives us a good exhortation. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, which is because we are doing no wrong to our neighbor, Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is not measured, love is what measures our obedience to God. You know, we wanna know if we're being obedient, are you loving? Then you'll know you're being obedient. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandment in John 14, 15. It is easy for us to love in the theoretical and the abstract, but God demands that we love real people, and at times these real people aren't our favorite. We don't get to choose who we are to love. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy. Love, not hate. This is a command, it's not a suggestion. It is a command, it's a hard command, but it's a command. And you know what, I realized, I understood, it's like a clicked in my head, I understood that this has to be a command for us. If it wasn't a command, there would be no way we would love our enemy. If it was a suggestion, we'd think about it. But it's a command. So we are to love our enemy. This is God's wisdom. This wisdom lived out in our life offers peace to the troubled heart, hope for the lost world, comfort to the hurting, and compassion for all who needs it. We must love as, as it really is. Love is a decision. When I've withheld love from someone, I definitely don't, eh, and I definitely don't feel like loving them, but when I've decided to love them, when I make the decision to love them, the peace of God that fills me is so amazing. I grow in that feeling of true love. It's like the feeling of true love all of a sudden appears in my heart, 
And, that, and though the feeling of true love is compassion, grace, mercy, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit. Love indeed sums it all up. And the sum of love is infinite and indefinite. It has no end. It never ends. Just like Jesus' love for us, God's love for us never ends. And it never fails. So, verse 11 goes on to say, Do this, love your neighbor, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone and the day is nearer. Uh, so why is it important for us to wake up from our sleep? Well, I loved how David Guzik said it, so I'm saying it to you. I'm reading what he said. Because we know the dangers of the time and anticipate the soon return of Jesus. We should be all the more energetic and committed to, the, to walk right with God instead of sleepwalk with God. It is possible to do many Christian things and yet essentially be asleep towards God. Sometimes people talk in their sleep, sometimes they hear things in their sleep, sometimes people walk in their sleep, sometimes people sing in their sleep, sometimes people think in their sleep, and I've even sat up and talked to y'all in my sleep. <laughs> but we call that dreaming, right? Because no, no, because one, can, uh, can do any, wait a minute, because one can do many religious things and still be asleep towards God. It is important for every Christian to make sure they are truly awake and active in their life before God. Make sure you're awake. Oh, it's so important for us to awake from our sleep. Oh, especially in the day that we live in. Be awake, we need to be awake. If, we've, if you've been asleep, wake up. And you know what, I, I, was, I was thinking about this whole waking up, you know, and even though I know this is an exhortation to wake up, to stop sleepwalking in our relationship with God, to shake off the, the lulls that keep, us, uh, from, that keep us asleep, or keep us from walking right with the Lord, I have this picture of how we are supposed to uh, wake up from our sleep, and it's just sweet to me. When my children were little, because you know, my children are my heart, um, they would wake up from their sleep, whether from a nap or um, all night, or my favorite was always when they were in my arms sleeping and they would wake up. And when they would wake up, they would look at me with such love. It was so pure. Um, love just poured out of their eyes and they would lift their face towards me and the, there was a light and a warmth of love for me all over them. It was just like, oh, it's just, I don't know. But I have to say, I've been guilty of sleepwalking many times in my life. And as I have waited for Jesus to come and for God to work, when I have wake, uh, awakened, as Paul tells us to, awaken the hour of the coming of Christ is nearer than the day when you believed, the love, light, and warmth that I receive from the Lord reminds me of when my children would look at me that way. It's like I had a beautiful picture of that. There's a billboard off of 212, and it's a picture of a baby, and it says, evidence for God. You know, and it's true, they're so sweet. We are exhorted to wake up, to look up, to look out, 
Wake up like my children. Wake up like my children. Looking up, lift your face, loving your Savior. Then look out with the light and warmth of Jesus on your face and in your heart towards loving your neighbor. Time is running out. It doesn't matter how old you are, time is running out. Be committed to a right walk with God instead of a sleep walk with God. Therefore, now that you are awake, let us lay aside the deeds of the dark. When I'm asleep, I don't see the dirty dishes in my sink or the stuff all over the ground or what was left messed up, I don't see it. But when I wake up and my eyes behold the kitchen sink, <laughs> I see the dirty dishes that need to be cleaned. <laughs> the King James Version says, we are to cast off the works of darkness, of sleep. Spurgeon says, we must cast off before we can put on. What do you need to cast off today? We are to cast off, get rid of our hard-heartedness, rebellion, our forgiveness, unforgiveness. What is it? What do you need to cast off? When we are asleep, our hard-heartedness, rebellion, unforgiveness isn't even recognized. And I know this is true because I have experienced this. And right now, we are exhorted to cast off what hinders us from fully putting on the armor of light. We can't do both, hang on to what needs to be cast off and put on the armor of light. We cannot do both. Paul says, take off your dirty, filthy rags of sin and, put, and clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. Spurgeon says, the rags of sin must come off if we put on the robes of Christ. There must be a taking away of the love of sin. There must be a renouncing of the practice and habits of sin or else man cannot even be a Christian. It will be an idle attempt to try and wear religion as a sort of celestial coverall over the top of old sin. So, take off darkness and put on the armor of light. Armor is what protects us from being injured or killed, but it also helps us to defend what is right and defends us from attacks. David Guzik says, when we put on Christ, we put on all the armor of God and are equipped both to defend and attack. The armor of light protects us from stumbling around in the darkness. Putting on the light of Christ keeps us safe from being overcome by evil, from pouring out our wrath on others, and leading us to surrender our vengeance to God's. And to, I have to say, that is a relief to me. When I put on the armor of light, when I put on Jesus, I surrender it all. I surrender it all, and I, I don't, I, it's not my responsibility to, to do it. It's my responsibility to do what God tells me to do, love others, get out of the dark, wake up, stop doing all these things, but it's a relief to know that Jesus has covered me. He's with me. So, verse 13, let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sex sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Whew, those are verses to end with, I have to say. <laughs> you know, and you're gonna need a break next week now. <laughs> um, but we are to behave properly in the day. The works of darkness will never ready us for the day of the coming of Christ. They will not. They will not do anything for us 
for the day of the coming of Christ. And we need to be prepared for the day of the coming of Christ because he is coming. We need to start sitting on the edge of our seat because he's coming. We need to start looking up because he is coming. He is coming. Darkness is characterized here as carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife and jealousy, and lust of the flesh. Darkness sets no value on sexual purity, fidelity, has no shame, but flaunts and promotes sin. These characterize the deeds of darkness. We are to make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. And under the cover of darkness or night, lust of the flesh gains strength. You know, all the stuff happens that is bad at night. It's rare when a thief comes in during the day. You know, well, not anymore. (laughs) They always come, they come during the day because you're at work. But anyways, deeds of the darkness. Don't live in them during the day either. (laughs) As children of the light, we are not to live or even flirt with darkness. When we live in darkness, this is the darkness of the heart and the mind. This is the darkness of sin. We will end up doing the deeds of darkness when we live in the darkness. And the deeds of darkness are not appropriate behavior for Christians who have come out of the night and into God's glorious light. They are not appropriate for us. We must stand up and live a pure life before the Lord. It's hard. It's hard. But the, the word of God gives us where, how we are to live. It's not easy being a Christian, but it's good. It's good. The armor of light of Christ exposes our improper behavior. So take off your filthy, sinful rags and put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus. Clothe yourself in every part of your life in purity and live in the day. Live in Jesus. Discipline yourself in love by truly loving others. It's a discipline. It's a choice. Discipline yourself in love by truly loving others as Jesus has asked us to do, as God has called us to do. All of what we have heard today, here we are at the end. Phew. All that we have heard today, to me, I thought about it yesterday. I said, all, all that I just went through is like when you've seen something you can't unsee, you know? We can't unhear this today. But we often forget. Unlike the things we've seen that our mind replays. You know what? We are responsible for the convictions we have heard. We are responsible for the convictions, what God has convicted us of. And today... If what you have heard has pierced you, convicted you, and even encouraged you, before it has a chance to be forgotten, I say get on your knees and work out the next step with your Lord because he will help you. He will help you. If you're still dabbling with your foot in the darkness, get on your knees. God will help you. He will help you. That's what he says. Come to me. Come to me. I would rather walk with a limp with the Lord than upright and beautiful, hard-hearted and unforgiving. Make things right with the Lord if they're not. Love your neighbor. That's anyone who is not you. 
It's the people that you drive behind you don't like, the people at the store who might scowl at you. It's our mayor, our governor. Love, pray for, have the attitude that Christ has. Truth, yes, but always in love. So in closing, what can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present or future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, dear brothers and sisters, because we do have some husbands that watch, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship, love, and obey God. Amen? Oh, so important to remember, loving others proves our obedience to the Lord in his command to us. So love your neighbor. Pray for those who are difficult for you. Take off, get rid of the darkness, and be clothed with the glorious armor of Jesus Christ's light. And let's shine to this dark world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. There is just so much packed in this God and so much still yet to learn and to hash out with each other, Lord. And I'm so thankful for our small groups that we don't just stop here and leave, that, but we get to interact and, and hash it out and figure it out for our lives, God. I pray that you would change us today. We do need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to have our hearts changed to be like Jesus. We need to love others as you have commanded us to do. We need to be humble and surrendered before you. And we need to allow you to do your work and remember that you, God, are in control and that we are in the hands of the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, omniscient God. We love you today. I pray you go with these ladies to their group, that you administer to them and the groups, the Zoom group that is online um, tomorrow while they meet God, that you administer to them, that they would just hear your word and be changed by it. Transform us today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.